cybernetically enhanced humanoid drones of multiple species, organized as an interconnected collective with a hive mind inhabiting a vast region of space. They operate towards one single-minded purpose, to add the biological and technological distinctiveness of other species to their own in the pursuit of perfection. They are the adversary of autonomy, the definition of slavery. They are the juggernauts of an infinite number of quadrants and parallel dimensions, including the mirror universe. The mirror universe has never been so treacherous. Hello and welcome to the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. I'm Kenny. I play Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn. I'm doing this podcast solo today. So, for this week's show... We will have the story so far with post-readings from forum members. Take it away, guys. We are the Borg. Life as you know it is over. You have entered our RPG space. You will adapt to the story so far. Our first reading is a post done by Jen and Star Trek Fanatic 5, and it will be read by Star Trek Fanatic 5. Even in his weakened state, the superior power of Nathan's telepathy easily restrained Servril. Through the link, he pushed memories of his Servril and their experiences aboard his Tiberius into her mind. With a great effort, she managed to force a single thought back to Nathan. I don't know you. I am Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn, and I am not from this universe, he cried out through the link. Quinn continued to flood her with visions. He had to make her understand, for she was his only hope of getting home. Her eyes darted about as she surveyed the scenes that only existed within the boundaries of her mind. The freshest images were of Quinn's experience on the cube, his discussion with the Boar King, and his experience in Margon's dark lab. Her eyes widened as she realized that she and Reese would no longer be able to access the shield modulation codes from that location not after that bloody battle that took place there. It was no longer a quiet, secluded area, and they couldn't simply walk onto the bridge and take them. Or could they? She thought of Admiral Talbot's promise to aid her cause. He had already disabled the ship's internal sensors. Perhaps he would also provide her with the proper codes. With his last ounce of energy, Quinn conveyed his locations to the familiar Vulcan before passing out. And with that, the connection was severed. Exhausted, Servil dropped to her knees, then fell in a heap on the floor. Wake, Wake up, up, Mommy, echoed two distant voices. Her eyes struggled to focus on the individual standing over her. Wake, Wake up, up, Mommy, the voices said in unison. 
A hypo-hiss brought the focus that her vision lacked, and she saw David and Casey Peterson kneeling beside her. Wake up, Servril, said David tenderly. The melodious hum of the tricorder rang within the Emperor's quarters. Welcome back, Kadua, said the Emperor as he kissed her forehead. She wanted to laugh at the term of endearment. It was rather a poor attempt at the Vulcan word of beloved. That, and he didn't actually love her. She started to sit up, but David stopped her. The doctor says you need to lay still. Was that concern she heard in his voice? She was too weary to attempt to validate it with a telepathic inspection. Instead, she stared intensely at the man who had struck her. He had placed a pillow under her head. The logic she willingly rejected whispered to her that the emotion she read on David's face was in fact a profound guilt. He assumed that he had caused her episode. Let him believe it, she thought. Without uttering a word, the Betazoid Terran doctor spoke to her. Perhaps you should tell him now. Her eyes moved to see Casey. The doctor was busying himself with a tricorder reading. Why? Came her strained reply. So that he won't strike you again. Nothing will guarantee that. Tell him. If you don't, I will. He still deserves to know. Her eyes flashed, but Casey did not turn his head to see the anger directed at him. David noted the look. He glanced to the doctor and back to Savril. Don't worry, Kadawa. The doctor said you'll be fine. There's that word again, she thought with disgust. He helped the mistress lay back against the pillow. She closed her eyes and concentrated on locating Reese Peters in order to relay the information regarding Margon's lab to him. We must find an alternative means of obtaining the shield modulation codes. Why? What happened? Reese replied with a frustrated thought. A captive named Quinn is the root cause. The Colin and Margon are fighting over him. He escaped. We cannot allow them to locate him. The Emperor stands to gain too much from his ability. David's shout of joy abruptly severed Severil's link with Reese. The Emperor had scooped her into his arms in a light embrace. She was bewildered a moment before a sudden realization dawned on her. Over his shoulder, she leveled an angry scowl at the doctor, who shrugged a half-hearted apology. Our next post is by Trekkie Geek, also read by Trekkie Geek. Suddenly, Severo's voice was cut off and Reese wasn't sure he had heard her correctly. She had mentioned someone called Quinn. She must be mistaken, or he had misheard. Quinn had died months ago, and Peters had been struggling to cope since. He and Quinn had spent much time in each other's company, and they had grown very close. Peters did not have many friends, and he counted Quinn as his closest. In fact, if it hadn't been for Nathan... Reese would probably have ended up in a gutter somewhere with his throat cut. Quinn had always had a calming effect on the highly strung Peters, and he missed him terribly. A thought entered his mind. He owed so much to Nathan Quinn. If there was a chance that he was alive, then he, Peters, must do all he could to help him escape. All thoughts of Latinum and Codes left his mind. He had one priority only. He would insist to Savril that the only way he would help her would be if he could rescue Nathan Quinn, even if it put his own life in danger. We now have a post by Hawkeye Meds. Read by Hawkeye Meds. His fingers raced over the panel on the wall. Sensors are offline. The Cardin looked at the blank monitor. His reflection gazed back at him. Slowly his eyebrows arched and he glared at himself. It was almost as if the reflection was laughing at him. He turned and headed towards the turbo lift. Dan, when you have finished playing with the good doctor, would you do me a favour and put Mr. Worf in the gravity chamber? The column walked to the turbo lift and Dunn's shaken voice chirped through. Sir, Doc. Dr. Markon has left the area. I. 
I can't see very well. De Carlin stopped and bowed his head. He's looking at you, Dan. Just find him. Next up is a post by Rate1701, and it'll be read by Moyer777. From his quarters deep within the belly of the Cloak Nugvar, Korak silently watched the ongoing battle between the Ternigans and the Borg. His viewscreen flickered briefly, no doubt a result of his flagship's cloak interfering with the ship's sensors. The Klingon Admiral felt torn. He had no love for the pitiful Terrans and their even weaker subjects. But the warrior within him raged to be set free to engage the Borg. Even if it meant assisting the Terrans. As weak and sneaky as they were, at least they tried to follow the example set by the Klingon-Cardassian alliance. At least they understand that in the galaxy, there were only two types of people. The conquerors and the conquered. The Borg, on the other hand, had no concept of what it meant to live. They were not driven by a desire for glory or conquest, and they had no thirst for power. They were cold, soulless machines, driven only by their programming to remake the universe in their image. Karak's lip curled in a sneer of disgust as he imagined a galaxy populated by bland, mindless drones, a universe with no soul, no honor, and untouched by the warming fires of either passion or righteous hate. His hardened fist smashed into the viewscreen, sending glossy black shards flying across his desk. I will not let that come to pass. The Klingon swept the glass-like shards off his desk, leaving a bloody smear, then violently punched the comm panel. This is Korak. Give me Captain Kalara. The captain's response issued immediately from the speaker. This is Kalara, Admiral. What do you want? Korak smiled in anticipation of the coming fight. Raise shields, drop our cloak, and arm all weapons. Then put me in contact with the human Patak in command out there. I intend to show these soft worms how true warriors deal with the Borg. Next up, we have a joint post by Hawkeye Meds, Jen, and Iceman. And it'll be read by Jen. Be careful, Emperor. Her condition is very fragile, warned the doctor. David spun her once more before he lowered her onto the bed. Then, suddenly, his ecstatic expression was replaced by a severe glare. Why have you kept this from me? Casey interrupted. They're hybrid children, Emperor. David glanced over his shoulder at the Terran Betazoid. Within the Empire, mixed species were the lowest of the low. The doctor nodded respectfully as David turned back to Savril. The Emperor's expression softened. You thought I would reject them because they are half Vulcan? No. I just didn't want you to be happy, you rabbit, she thought to herself. Yes, she said aloud. They will be my heirs. I could never discard them. Besides, there is a chance they could luck out and appear human. If not, I could have them surgically altered. Savril flicked a cool gaze to Casey. The doctor looked away. She rolled her eyes slowly back to David, who had his smile ready for her. He waved the doctor out of the room without bothering to thank him for his help. Peterson gathered his medical kit and bowed to the Emperor, who never acknowledged the gesture. He left their quarters with a dark cloud looming over him. Casey didn't like defying his friend. But he saw the tricorder readouts and knew that the Emperor had abused Savril. 
Though the blow hadn't been the root cause of her episode, the doctor believed David's knowledge of the pregnancy would protect her from future outbursts. He headed quickly down the corridor and entered his quarters to find Reese gone. The doctor began putting away the items in his medkit, but set aside the hypo. One could never be too cautious in the Empire, so Casey carried a sedative on him at all times, just in case of trouble. Little did he know that he would need it later that evening. The turbo lift door opened, and Joseph DeCollin slithered out. He held his head at an odd angle as he strode down the corridor. The odd posture heightened the interrogator's predatory appearance as he prowled the corridor in search of his next victim, the individual he blamed for every issue that arose aboard Tiberius. He skulked to a control panel in order to access the internal sensors, but stopped when he noticed Dr. Peterson entering his quarters nearby. Ah, yes, the personal physician, her minion. A feral smile spread across to Colin's face. The interrogator crept to Casey's door and flattened his ear against its surface. When he was sure that Peterson was alone, the snake overrode the security lock and entered the good doctor's quarters. He waited in the open doors as eyes adjusted to the darkened room. It appeared empty. Joseph cocked his head to one side and then the other. The hunt was invigorating and DeCollin felt a rush of exhilaration as he took three cautious steps into the room. Is there a doctor in the house? he hissed. From his hiding place, Casey readied his hypo and slowly rose to confront the intruder. What do you want, DeCollin? called the doctor from the shadows. The interrogator smiled. I'm looking for a cure, he whispered as he stepped further into Casey's quarters. The doctor remained hidden within his curtain of shadows, watching Joseph intensely. A cure for what? Insanity? I'm not a psychiatrist to Colin, said Dr. Peterson as he silently stepped to a new location. <laughs> it warms the cockles of my heart to know that you have managed to retain your excellent sense of humor in spite of all the trauma I have put you through, chuckled to Colin. Speaking of cockles, did you know that the phrase cockles of your heart is derived from the Latin description for the heart's chambers? It's true. It's widely believed that the word cockles is a corrupted version of cochlei, most likely entering the popular vernacular as a form of slang. The prevailing medical opinion of that day and time was that the ventricles of the human heart resembled a concentric shell of small mollusks or snails known as cockles. The heart is a funny thing, isn't it? He mused. Actually, I'm not looking for a shrink. I need an assisting physician. I'm going to cure an illness, and you're going to help me. DeCollin paused listening for movement, and heard a footstep at his left. He turned his head in that direction. Seeing nothing, he continued. You see, the Emperor has managed to contract a cancer of the Vulcan variety. I know you've had dealings with this particular disease. You have the knowledge I need to stop the spread. With what I glean from you, I will be able to cut this cancer from the Empire. DeCollin waited for Casey's reply in order to pinpoint his position. It was a long wait, 
but it finally came. He smiled as the doctor answered sharply. She's with the Emperor, and you would be wise to stay away from her. De Colin's smile grew, his menace equally so. Why is that, Doctor? Is she playing house again? Dr. Peterson stepped from the shadows, dropped the hypo from the sleeve, and lifted it up to stab De Colin in the neck. Luckily for Joseph, Casey had stepped into his peripheral view. He spun on his heel and parried the doctor's downward blow with his raised forearm, then countered with a sharp strike to Casey's throat with his right hand. Casey fell to one knee, gasping for air and fumbling for the dropped hypo. DeCollin's laugh reverberated within the cabin. It's like finding a needle in a haystack, isn't it, doctor? At that moment, Casey Peterson looked up to see DeCollin's hand glide down and puncture his shoulder with the missing hypo. The sedative worked quickly and Peterson lost consciousness. Damn. Now I have to carry him, thought Joseph. Well, no rest for the weary, he said, as he threw the doctor over his shoulder and headed for the turbo lift. Now here's a post by Rico, also read by Rico. With Talbot back in command on the bridge, Zerem was out of the center seat again, a position where he felt weaker and more vulnerable. Talbot may be a tactical genius, but Zrem had watched the half-breed lose his edge over the years. Oh, he still easily won battles, but the killer instincts seemed to be gone. But there was something Zrem noticed just before he left the bridge that made him uneasy. Something new in Talbot's eyes he saw when he asked for permission to head to engineering to investigate the sensor troubles that made him very uncomfortable. It was as if Talbot knew something he didn't, and that made the Andorian very suspicious. As Rem made his way down the corridor towards the main sensor control room near engineering, he heard footsteps coming towards him from an adjacent corridor. His antennae perked up as he noticed a young human engineer approaching him. Zrem motioned for his personal guard to stand ready, with a hand sign they each knew very well. Commander Zrem, good to see you, sir, the young ensign said, giving the traditional hand salute. Is there something you wanted, ensign? Zrem said casually. Ensign Berman, sir, communications technician. It's interesting what one can hear at my station with just a few modifications, Berman said with a grin. Your point, Ensign? I'm very busy at the moment, Zrem said as he felt his pulse increase. Well, let's just say, Blue Boy, that the Admiral might be very interested in certain conversations that I... Berman was cut off in mid-sentence as Zrem crashed into his chest and pressed him up against the bulkhead wall. In a flash, his knife was out and on Berman's neck. Zrem's guard moved in as well and quickly grabbed the unguarded crewman, pinning his arms behind his back. You are a fool, Berman. No one threatens me on my ship. What did you hear? Zrem said as he moved in close and breathed down on the Terran. I heard enough. If you kill me, Zrem, a coded message will automatically be sent to the Admiral. That is, unless I enter my personal code every four hours. Now, release me, and we can talk about my promotion. You know, that Barton sounds like a... Berman didn't finish as Zrem twisted his wrist over and quickly slit the ensign's throat, sliding his sharp blade deep across his neck. He nodded to his guard to let go as Berman uselessly reached up and pressed his hands against the gushing blood streaming from his neck. Stupid, pathetic human. Talbot doesn't frighten me. Zrem said as he watched the technician slide to the floor and gurgling in pain and shock. No, help, please. 
Berman said softly as his eyes fluttered and became lifeless. Clean up this mess and then join me in the censor room, Zerem said to his personal guard as he wiped his blade off on Berman's uniform and walked on as if he had simply stepped on a small insect. For some reason, he found himself grinning slightly. Perhaps my timetable will have to be moved up, he thought to himself as he reached the control room. We have another joint post from Jen and Hawkeye Meds, and it'll be read by Hawkeye Meds. Casey Peterson was surprisingly heavy for a man of his size. Too many replicated pies, eh, Doctor? Grumbled to Cullen as he lugged his newest victim down the corridor. The Briggs glass door rolled open and Joseph stepped inside, dropped the doctor to the floor and then dragged him to the centre of the room. A tall, thin guard moved from his post to meet the interrogator. Oh, Dr. Peterson has come back to see us, yeah? I look forward to settling the score. He managed to knock out two of my teeth during his stay with us. I will get my chance to repay him, won't I? Takala let go of Casey's arm, creating a hollow thud that reverberated within the room. He turned a fierce gaze towards the guard. He's mine, he growled under his breath. The guard held his hands up and stepped back a few paces in submission. Aye, sir. The Carlin dragged the doctor to the far wall and glanced back over his shoulder at the guard. Will you get over here and help me? The confused man rushed to the interrogator, who had lifted one of Casey's legs. The guard took the other leg and attached a pair of cuffs to the doctor's ankles. Joseph snatched a control device from the guard's belt and keyed a lift command. The unconscious doctor was quickly hoisted off the floor by an unseen force. His arm swayed slightly as his body ascended upside down. Another sequence was keyed and the doctor's upward progression was stopped. Decarlin took a few steps forward and grabbed a fistful of hair with his left hand and turned the doctor's face to study it. With his right hand, the interrogator prized open Casey's closed eyelids and inspected his dilated pupils. He let go of the unconscious man and gestured to the guard. The man scrambled to pass to Callan, a cylindrical device. Joseph pushed long, sweaty black strands of hair from his eyes and activated the mechanism on the side of the implement. Green vapour escaped from the apparatus that the Callan waved in the doctor's purple face. Casey coughed and moaned. Rise and shine, whispered the Carlin, as he pulled weighted gloves over his fists. The interrogator drew back and punched the doctor in the kidneys. Casey swung back and forth in midair as he cried out in pain. Ah, <laughs> you'll awake. That's good. Peterson, still groggy from the hypo, slurred a string of defiant curses. His threats soon merged with the growling sound of banging. Bare feet pounded the floor, and bruised hands hammered sound walls in unison as the prisoners joined Peterson in protest. Their collective declaration echoed like thunder throughout the brig. Wait your turn. <laughs> I can easily make time for you all, shouted the Garland. The blow of an iron fist soon stopped day at Dr. Peterson swearing. The prisoners' protest ceased as Casey swung silently before the interrogator. The Carlin caught the doctor's jacket and stopped his sway gently. He held it, and with his other hand, glided his fist straight into the doctor's nose, causing the septum to shatter. He then lowered his blood-soaked hand into his pocket and pulled a dirty rag from it. The interrogator popped the cloth to remove anything foreign from its surface. Before gathering it in his hand, 
and mopping the blood from the doctor's open wound. My, that does look nasty, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> it could be much worse. Dazed but still coherent, Casey managed to spit a tooth at the interrogator. <laughs> the colonel picked up the bloody marlow and tossed it to the guard. Here, he's <laughs> a replacement tough for the one you lost. He laughed and turned back to Casey. Now then, let's have a chat, shall we? What did your Vulcan harlot up to? I know when people are hiding things from me, and she's up to something. Come on. Tell me all you know, he said as he playfully tapped the doctor's broken nose with his index finger. Dr. Peterson stared back at the interrogator in silent defiance. Nah? Fear enough, doctor. He waved the guard over. The man grabbed Casey's head and fitted him with a halter. He fixed a bottle to the doctor's head and slipped metal apparatus into his mouth. Nothing personal, doctor. I'll just need to pin you down on a few things, said the Carlin. With another command from the control device, the metal apparatus pried open Casey's mouth. Dr. Peterson struggled against it while the Callan waved a long, slender needle-like instrument before his eyes. Knowing what would happen next, the guard looked away. You might feel a slight prick, <laughs> said the Callan with a mocking tone. Casey felt an agonising shock of pain as the needle pierced his tongue. He woke, some time later, to see a pile of his own hair on the floor beneath him. He was still hanging by his ankles, and his head pounded, but not from the rush of blood to his head. Though they felt as though they weighed more than his tired body, Casey moved one hand to his head and felt something protruding from his skull, an implement of some type. "'You were very chatty,' said to Carlin as he approached the doctor. "'Very casual, mate. <laughs> In fact, I think we may have actually bonded during our discussion. I was just heading out to the door to see the Emperor.' I'll be sure to tell him how cooperative you've been. And for our final read this week, it's a post from Jen and read by Jen. Hunting moles was apparently easier than hunting rabbits. David Reese had been watching DeCollin for only an hour when he observed the man carrying Dr. Peterson out of his quarters. Determined to earn the wealth that Locke had offered, the Emperor's henchman eagerly followed the second individual listed on David Locke's list of potential conspirators. He trailed the interrogator all the way to the brig, and could go no further. Reese waited for the door to close before activating the listening devices hidden inside, and moved to eavesdrop from a nearby cabin. Hours of punishment and questioning were recorded before DeCollin and Reese finally obtained the information they needed. The henchman would cross three names off the list and retire as a man of affluence, a man of great power. He gathered his evidence and quickly left to inform the Emperor. The door chime sounded from the next room. He tried to ignore it, but it continued to repeat its annoying bray until he could no longer focus. In a huff, he threw back the blankets and left the bedroom. What? As he closed his robe, his guards entered with David Reese. Forgive me, Emperor. I have information of vital importance. I just want to thank our forum members for reading this week's post. Trucky Geek, Meds, Moyer, Jen, and Rico. 
So uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and doing these for us. I know everyone really appreciates it who listens to them. And I want to encourage people to send in comments, uh, things that you like on the podcast, things you don't like about the podcast. Jen will be back next week, hopefully with uh, the special guest host, Rick. Uh, We had a really great time, and we seem to have gotten a lot of good feedback uh, from forum members saying how much they like the three of us uh, doing the podcast. So uh, hopefully we can have Rick around more often, and uh, we will try our best to to make that happen. So uh, this is Kenny, hailing frequencies closed. All music used on the Record Room Podcast is provided by... Moyer 777 and Metron 07. And for the first time, Rick Moyer has created a special parody song just for the RPG game, and it's fantastic. Take it away, Rick. RPG! RPG! Sir and madam, will you read my post? It took me days to write, and now I've got a boast. I made up my character and gave him a name, so I need an idea, and I want to be an RPG writer. RPG writer! It's a gritty story about a big spaceship in the Starfleet setting, and yeah, it's a hit. Season 8 in the Mere Universe It's a cool story Cause we're writing it first Writers RPG Writers RPG Writers RPG Writers It's hundreds of pages Give or take a few On the internet in a week or two we can make it longer if we join our post. I can change it around and I want to be an RPG writer. RPG writer. If you really like it, you can start writing. Email Kenny or Jan and get your stuff in. Write each day and make the story soar. But I need a post and I want to be an RPG writer. RPG writer. 